My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. I sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things, to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness, for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you. So again, welcome to Begin Again. There we go. What's up, friends? You probably can't tell. I've got a big smile on my face right now. I just made a video that I put on my weekly email, which, by the way, if you haven't signed up for that, go to johnchavy.com and then slide to the bottom of the page and you'll see a sign up for it. But every week I give this uh, weekly email that includes uh, five things from my most recent journals entries of the past week. And I, I put some links in there to blogs or like other videos I'm checking out, things that I think are quality or worthwhile to find out about. There's links to this in there too, but this week I also made uh, an online store. In addition to this, I've been doing some other things and, and trying to create like PDFs and like audio files. And uh, I actually have a 60 over 60 page PDF file or something for people to check out. Um, what I'm trying to do is take all of this pent up creativity that I've had over the past couple years and harness it and make things with it to help people like you who probably are something close to me in the sense that uh, you probably have a growth mindset towards trying to do this thing called faith. Of course, we don't always do it well, but having a growth mindset towards it actually is, excuse me, sometimes it's a little bit of a lonely thing. So anyways, I have a smile on because I just made a video introduction explaining that video, all right? Now, but that's not what we're doing here, all right? We are going to be talking about Bonhoeffer and what's it like to live in the world, and he says some profound things. So we're actually going to talk about that. So when this is done, again, please go and check out uh, johnchafee.com and... Uh, yeah, you'll see what I mean. But let's talk about Bonhoeffer, all right? Over the past two weeks, I've been kind of flipping through some of the things that he has written. And uh, in 2016, for my second master's degree, I got uh, a, the chance to take a class devoted completely just to Bonhoeffer. And it was amazing. It really was incredible. And it was very cool just to do those types of things, you know. Anyways. So as I was going back through some of his writings, I actually have uh, this one book called The Dietrich Bonhoeffer Reader. I was looking over my shoulder for it, and I don't know where it is now. But it's a collection or a survey of some of his most impressive works. It has some selections from some of his larger books, but he also has uh, in there a number of smaller articles 
that were never really made into full books. They were just publications, a piece that he wrote on ethics, a piece that he wrote on this or that, that really never made it into a full book, but maybe did make it into something like that. Okay. Now, Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor during World War II who was actively a part of the confessing church that confessed against the Nazi regime and the Third Reich and Hitler's whole agenda. And he was also a part of the Barman Declaration, which was a, an official document saying that people of the church in Germany at that time will not sign off on the things that are happening. And in some sense, it really put a target on his head. And so there's debate as towards whether or not he actually died a martyr because he died as a result of his political beliefs, but his political beliefs were informed by his religious or faith beliefs. You know what I mean? So Bonhoeffer is a fantastic figure. And since I was raised at a Lutheran church growing up, actually, he was the first theologian that I ever read. I remember being 21 in my parents' backyard out by the lagoon on the bay. And in one hand, I had a copy of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship, which is probably his most well-known book, but his other ones are just as good. In one hand, I had that, and in the other hand, I had a Heineken beer, <laughs> which was like one of the first beers that I ever had. But I remember being 21, sitting in these recliner chairs in the backyard, reading The Cost of Discipleship and having a beer. And I remember telling my pastor at the time that that's how I was spending part of my summer. And he just laughed out loud and said, sounds like you're a good Lutheran. <laughs> uh, that's funny. But as I was going back through some of his writings this past two weeks, I came across a quote I thought was absolutely profound. And I thought I had to make some notes about it. And I decided, why not make something, an episode about it? Now, I was going back and looking through Bonhoeffer's writings because uh, one of the things that I had been working on is a document on the restoration of all things. The New Testament has a few times where Jesus talks about the restoration of all things. Uh, Peter talks about the renewal of all things. And Paul talks about the reconciliation of all things. And I remembered as I was looking through some of that stuff and writing on it, I realized, oh, that's right. Bonhoeffer had some comments about the reconciliation of all things because he also believed in the reconciliation, rest restoration, and the renewal of all things, which I know some people think that that's not Christian, but actually all three of those sentences, restoration, renewal, and reconciliation of all things happens in the New Testament. Anyways, so I looked it up. And it was in this side article, or I guess you could say uh, essay from Bonhoeffer called Christ, Reality, and Good, Christ, Church, and World. And in there, he does this. He talks about some of the, the hurdles that he sees happening. 
because he noticed that there were kind of a lot of church-going people that kind of saw the world in two realms, two circles, two spheres, two arenas, I guess you could say. One side is the world that is spiritual, and on the other side is the world that is unspiritual. One side is sacred, the other side is unsacred. One side is, uh, I guess you could say, yeah, sacred, the other side's profane. One side has got Christ all over it, and the other one has Christ nowhere in it. And his, his approach was actually kind of interesting because he saw a distinction between people that were trying to be Christian by separating from the world. And of course, if you pay attention to his lifetime, you remember, oh, what's going on here? Because the church of his day during World War II in Germany were either shaking hands with Hitler or were running away from the world. And so he saw people that were being Christians and endorsing or even sanctifying evil. And then he saw others that were just whole scale running from the issues of the world. And so in the time of, in the cultural milieu, let's say that way, of all these things, Bonhoeffer writes this quote. Here we go. He says, it is a denial of God's revelation in Jesus Christ to wish to be Christian, quote unquote, without being worldly, quote unquote, or to wish to be worldly without seeing and recognizing the world in Christ. Hence, there are not two realms, but only one realm of the Christ reality in which the reality of God and the reality of the world are reunited. Oh, isn't that good? In the Dietrich Bonhoeffer reader, that's on page 602. But for Bonhoeffer, he doesn't want to give in to that easy dualism of there's the realm of Christ and then there's the realm of the world. There's the realm that is sacred and there's the world that is profane. He says, no, there's one realm both of those are together in the same place. And he calls that not the Christian realm or the worldly realm. He calls it the Christ realm. So, okay. That means that for him, the reconciliation of all things means that those two spheres, those two circles, those two realities are actually one. They've been reconciled one to the other. See what I mean? So what's fascinating is he's actually against Christians that have no worldliness about them. <laughs> now, for some people, the word worldly is an inference towards like being evil or dark or abusive or unhealthy, all those things, right? But for Bonhoeffer, he was actually making a critique against Christians that try to escape from the world. And... What's the word here for reconcile? Uh, it actually has to do with the restoration, renewal, reconciliation. This word is a big one. It really is. And in fact, for Bonhoeffer, most, most of his understanding of the world is influenced by that sentence, the reconciliation of all things. So if you think about it, 
Um, a lot of people approach trying to be a good Christian, a good person of faith, by separating from the world, as if purity or holiness could be achieved by separation. And you may have felt this tension or pull within yourself. There might be a season of uh, spiritual development at which we all think purity is achieved by separation. However, uh, to think like that is to actually believe in the unreconciliation of all things. It's still giving into this mindset that there's two worlds and you need to separate from one world so you could join the other world. Separate from one realm in order to enter a different one. Okay, but maybe actual Christian maturity isn't marked by separation. Maybe actual Christian maturity is determined by engagement by raising the bar from within the world. You could say this phrase of, I don't know, being salt and light in the world. Yeah. Or let's, let's talk about one of these parables of Jesus where he says, you should be like yeast in the dough that makes the dough rise. Yeah. So what does all of this mean? Like what, what are the implications here? Well, if maturity is not defined or helped by separation from the world, but instead rather deep engagement with it and actually like being light and love in the world. Okay, hear me out. What this means is whether you spend all of your time in the quote unquote Christian world or all your time in the quote unquote unchristian world, that has nothing to do with your maturity or your purity or the motivations of your own heart or whether or not you're better or worse than someone else. Maybe what it's really about, maybe all of this is actually to say we are supposed to be like yeast in the world that helps the whole thing rise to the next thing to help it all be pulled up a little bit, you know? If you have enough people in a room that are mature and maturing, it actually causes everybody else to have to start acting up, right? I mean, not acting up in a bad way. I mean, acting up in a positive way. You know what I mean? So maybe Bonhoeffer says something really interesting. You know, maybe Bonhoeffer actually still challenges some of the things that we're doing today because he really seems to encourage that we should not avoid the world. We should not retreat from it. We should not never engage it. Instead, maybe the, the call of a, the Christ-like person is actually to embrace the world, to step towards it, to engage with it, to help it rise on up from within. Maybe the world doesn't need another group of people to shame it and denounce it and separate from it and say to hell with you. Maybe the world needs people that actually live in it. And this, this actually is a big deal in some sense because there's, there can be people that actually start working in churches 
or in ministries or in other places because what they're trying to do is separate from the world and live in one realm but not the other realm completely unaware that that's not the name of the game. The name of the game is not separation. The name of the game is integration and helping it to rise up, to grow in, in love and light, you know? But, okay, we need to talk about a few practicalities. When I say to engage the world, that does not necessarily mean you do everything that the rest of pop culture is doing. Just because everybody else is getting drunk, it doesn't mean you should. Just because everyone else is smoking, doesn't mean you should. I mean, you do have to keep a line about what you consider healthy. But what's interesting is that in the New Testament, there's a passage. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul says, We are free to do anything. You say, yes, yes. I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> let me start over. It actually says, you say, we are free to do anything. That is true. But not everything is good for us. We are free to do anything, but not everything builds up community. Not everything builds up your household. Not everything builds up you. So actually, 1 Corinthians 10 is interesting because Paul's saying, yeah, listen, we can do whatever we want, guys. Engage the world, live in it, but that doesn't mean everything that you'll ever give into is good for you. So maybe the real ethical principle for Christians to live by is, is this beneficial for me? If it's not, I'm not going to do it. If it is, sure, I'll do it. But I'm also not going to judge myself or judge other people for doing things that is not beneficial to them or to others. So Paul is even doing something interesting because Paul's actually leaning into this idea of the reconciliation of all things. That passage, 1 Corinthians 10, is kind of surrounded by other conversations, certainly in Romans, in which people are eating food sacrificed to idols. He's like, listen, what you eat isn't what makes you dirty. What goes into a person isn't what makes you dirty. It's what comes out of you. The, the hate in your heart, the fury, the anger, the bitterness, the rage, the disappointment, not disappointment, disappointment sometimes is a good thing, but you know what I mean. Holiness is not determined by what goes into you, but what comes out of you. Yeah. So let's think about this. Separating from the world is the exact opposite movement of the incarnation, of Christmas itself. God, in God's own self, did not consider that there are two realms that must be kept separate. Instead, God leaves heaven to come to earth. <laughs> so this whole idea of two separate realms, one sacred and one profane, one is where we're trying to get to, the other one we avoid, God in God's own self didn't do that. Yet that's what we do. Right? So what does it look like? What does this mean? It means actually maybe it's okay to go to the bar. Maybe it means it's okay to go to concerts. Maybe it means it's okay to go out and experience 
other parts of the world that don't necessarily like contain the adjective Christian in front of it. Maybe it means that we all stop talking about one thing spiritual and another thing unspiritual. To stop talking about things as this is sacred, that's profane. Everything is sacred. The question is whether or not things are being used in a sacred way. Right? You see what I mean? But let's think about this. Let's go back to the very, very beginning of the Bible. Let's talk about Genesis real quick. You may have noticed that if you actually read Genesis 1, it kind of has a hymn structure to it. It's almost like verses of a song. Each day is the next verse of a hymn. And you might have noticed that at the end of many of those days, God looks at what he has created and he says, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. Humanity is created, he says, that's very good. And then Sabbath is installed and then he says, that's holy, you know. But before God starts saying things are good, he separates the light from the darkness and he separates heaven and earth. And if you notice, in Genesis, God does not call the separation of heaven and earth good. Let me repeat that. He does not call the separation of heaven and earth good. But then if you fast forward and you go to the very end of the Bible, the opposite book to Genesis is another book called Revelation, which could be called Revealing. You know, the revealings of John, the apostle. And heaven and earth are merged together into this some new creation of new heavens and new earth. But they're integrated. They're together. And so there's really this profound movement, this meta arc, this meta narrative, this long trajectory from the beginning. That the separation of heaven and earth is kind of a false one. Or at least, let's say the separation of heaven and earth are actually headed towards being integrated, being together, one realm, reconciled. And so everything that we do, everything that we give into, every mindset or every thought or every intention that somehow has got the grammar of a separation of heaven and earth, a separation of what is sacred and what is profane, a separation of a Christ realm and the worldly realm, maybe that's actually going backwards when we should be going forwards in the biblical narrative. Because for Bonhoeffer, the reconciliation of all things has already happened. So therefore, to not live as if the world was reconciled was for him living in an unreality. Isn't that interesting? For Bonhoeffer, to live as if the world has not been reconciled is actually to not stay true to the Christian story, the, the long arc of cosmic history. Oh! So, what have we talked about? Well, we read this quote from Bonhoeffer at the beginning. 
We talked about reconciliation. We talked about how some people fall into this mindset, and I'm sure I probably did for a season or five, of purity by separation. To live in the world as if to say, I'm going to go to this because this is good. I'm going to avoid that because that over there is evil. And to say, this thing is Christian, so it's safe. That thing is unchristian, and so it's unsafe. We talked about how it's not about separation. It's about being like buried in the ground like a seed and helping to burst forth from within it. It's about like being yeast in the bread and helping the whole thing to rise as it should. It's not about separation. It's about being in the thing to change the quality of the thing. I don't know. Like we said, like salt and light. We talked about how although everything might be permissible, not everything's beneficial. So good. Go be in the world. Or as, uh, is it Paul? No, it's Jesus, I think talks about be in the world but not of it go ahead be in the world absolutely everything's good everything's permissible but not everything's beneficial so maybe be in the world but only do the things that are beneficial only do the things that are healthy wow isn't that amazing we talked about how uh the beginning of the bible is the separation of heaven and earth and that's not called good it's not called bad either but it's not called good. And then the end of the Bible is about heavens and earth being merged together in a new creation of a new heavens and new earth in this new city of Jerusalem, this new holy city that's the integration of heaven and earth. Oh, the symbolism is profound. Okay. But what does this mean? This maybe means that you don't have to have a retreating view of the world. Maybe it means that you and I, we don't have to always be on the defensive. Maybe it doesn't mean that we should continue uh, denouncing some things as being, this is properly Christian, that's improperly Christian, that's Christian, and that's not at all Christian, right? Given to those funny dualisms as if to say that there's not already one reality. So I guess, man, if I were to try to summarize, my, my guess would be this. Let's say it this way. There's a shift that still hasn't happened for all of us. Because we still fall into this mindset of a, a faith that sees things in either or. Rather than a faith that sees things as a both and. And we, we very easily fall into this idea that this over here is spiritual, that over there is unspiritual, rather than realizing the spiritual is in all things already. And that we don't have to have this versus mentality at all times towards all things and all people and all places and all activities. Of course, we should fight things that are unhealthy and destructive. But... Maybe the world is good. Maybe it's good to enjoy the things that are around us, to enjoy the things that are certainly beneficial for us. And maybe we don't need to draw these silly lines of saying this over here is Christian, this over here is worldly. Because, and let's finish with that quote again, Bonhoeffer says, it is a denial 
of God's revelation in Jesus Christ to wish to be Christian without being worldly, or to wish to be worldly without seeing and recognizing the world in Christ. Hence, there are not two realms, but only one realm of the Christ reality, in which the reality of God and the reality of the world are reunited. So, may you live in a world that has already been reconciled to God. May you lean into the fact that everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And may you help yourself and your surroundings head in the right direction towards the unity of heaven and earth, not their separation. May grace and peace be with you. Y'all are awesome.